That was the opening music to The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, released in 1969, directed by Ronald Neum, and starring Maggie Smith, Gordon Jackson, Robert Stevens, Pamela Franklin, Celia Johnson, uh, Diane Grayson, and several or many other supporting cast. And it was released by 20th Century Fox in 1969. And this is the first of four films that we're going to be reviewing as part of sort of a British or UK film festival. And uh, joining us in this episode is our Tier 4 patron, Arthur Schoolco. And we did an interview with him over the phone, and we'll be uh, including clips from that interview in this podcast. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews, and you can support the show over there. And I'm Matt Johnson, coming to you from windy, rainy North Bend today. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in sunny Los Angeles, welcoming everyone back to Classic Movie Reviews and our... uh, Guest Arthur, I want to welcome him. Hi, this is Matt, just breaking into the episode for a second and to, to give you a heads up that we're going to intercut parts of our conversation with Arthur and you're going to notice there's a difference in the sound quality. Uh, I think Arthur sounds pretty good and Bob and I sound like we're at the end of a tunnel. So we're still figuring out our audio setup, but I just wanted to give you a heads up that Uh, Throughout the episode, you'll kind of hear us go back and forth between the conversation Bob and I had and then the conversation that uh, Arthur, Bob, and I had together. All right, back to the show. Yeah, we have a special guest, our patron uh, at Tier 4, and we're very grateful to have uh, Arthur Skulko uh, join us today. Thank you very much, Matt. Glad to be on. And Arthur, you've been a, a listener for quite a while. I mean, you and I started conversing on Facebook a few years ago, I think. Yeah, it was great. Wanted to go back and forth and uh, talk about some of these great films that you've been doing and add to some more possible ones to do. Yeah, you, you've always been really great about suggesting movies. And, and Bob and I laugh because I think we have a lifetime's worth of movies to watch. Um, but it's always good to get more suggestions because we want to make sure we're filtering the best to the top of the list. And as part of the new thing that we're doing on Patreon at Tier 4, you've selected a movie and a theme for the month of July. And the theme was British films. And the main movie that you wanted to talk about was The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. And then there were three other films that you suggested, which we are going to watch. We had a phone call earlier, and, and it was interesting that your parents were really into classic films. You got into classic films. My dad was really into classic films. I got into it. And it's nice to see that it's kind of a generational thing that we can pass down and and as you know on our you know i have Haley and and sometimes some of my other kids on the on the podcast and i'm trying to instill that same kind of love of classic movies into my kids it's a very good idea because you learn a lot from these films so you learn a lot from current films um all films of all time um much much bigger amount of uh, information to learn from seeing them um things you might like not like but a lot more to know about Arthur, I'm really glad that you selected The Green Man uh, from 1956 because one of my favorite actors is Alastair Sim. 
anything he's in, I've seen. I, ju I just love the guy. So I'm glad you selected <laughs> that one for one of our July broadcasts. He is a fantastic actor, Bob. You're right. He's not as well known as he probably should be. And I think that's going to be also a theme of this four film group. <laughs> He's just fantastic. I'm glad that you're familiar with him and, and enjoy his films. I was going to say, I want to thank Arthur. The four films that you've selected are they're really great ones and, and, and we look forward to doing them. Bob, that's great. Had you seen these other films that I had suggested? I've seen them all. And plus, I've probably seen all the ones that you send us on the, you have a longer list. And uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big uh, classic film fan. Uh, <laughs> a couple that you mentioned that uh, the Malta story is one that we'll probably also pick up later in the year. And the film that we're looking at and talking about today is The Prime of Miss Jean Brody, released in February of 1969 and a film that was surprisingly much different than what I thought it would be when I first sat down to watch it. It went from a kind of a pleasant opening to a rather dark drama. <laughs> yeah, I remember we were watching this on the Netflix uh, watch party, I think. I believe so, Weren't yeah, we? I believe. Did we watch this on we the watch We watched so party? many yeah. films. I know we watched it together because uh, I couldn't wait to visit with you when we got finished with the film yeah and i remember texting you that i thought that the opening of this felt like watching the opening of a harry potter movie you know like the first harry potter movie where there where all these kids are going off to school and you're you're seeing these teachers and and you you meet miss jean brody who's played by maggie smith and she seems very friendly and very well liked and all the girls are waving at her and you know, it's 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 like you said, it opens up in a very uh, lighthearted sort of happy way. And I thought, well, this is going to be fun. It's going to be like a coming of age movie at this girls boarding school. And I mean, I guess it kind of does fall into that category, but it does turn pretty dark uh, by the end. When I first started watching it, I thought of the uh, the film that's been made uh, more than one time. Goodbye, Mr. Chips. And the Peter O'Toole version from, I think, the early 1970s, where he's the head teacher at a boys' school in, in England. This had that same feel to it. I thought, oh, this will be, this will be pleasant. And it was, uh, <laughs> it was very enlightening and educational. And I know when we talked to Arthur, we really delved into a lot of the uh, subtlety and not-so-subtlety aspects of the film and uh, Gene Brody's character. All right, so let's jump into the prime of Miss Gene Brody. I've never seen this movie. I've never, I'd never even heard of it. Um, once I'd watched it and then did some research, I realized that it's quite famous. And there was even a, a few TV adaptations of it, I think, and maybe even another film adaptation of it. Uh, but it, it's got a lot of more traction than I realized, having never even heard of it before. And I think Maggie Smith, was was she nominated or won uh, an award for this? Uh, she won the Academy Award for her role, yeah. Yep, and Best Music Original Song uh, for the song Gene uh, was a nominee for that year, 1970. I, you know, it, it's one of these movies that I love going into a movie never having seen it before, not really knowing anything about it, just being like, okay, I'm, I'm going to pretend I'm in the theater in 1970. 69 and I'm, I'm seeing this movie for the first time 
And it, it really felt like that. And, and yet at the same time I was thinking that, I was being pulled out of the movie because there were some scenes that I kept thinking about Harry Potter. And I'm thinking about Maggie Smith and, you know, her role in that. And then there's, there's a scene where all the teachers are at the front of the kind of the dining hall. And, and it was just like out of Harry Potter where all the teachers are at the front of the dining hall. And I was laughing because Haley and Noah and I were watching it. And like I said, we've been watching a lot of movies together. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great. It's going to be kind of like this uh, coming of age story in the school and these girls growing up with this mentor. Boy, was I wrong. I really read that movie wrong at the beginning of the, uh, of the film. <laughs> it's not at all like that. I think that's fantastic, Matt, that you saw the movie not knowing anything about it, because I have that experience. And whether it's watching an older film or one that's just about to come out, I think there's something kind of special about that. It adds another dimension to not know anything about this, especially because when you see cues and you see things that you believe sort of will make sense, you know, as the film is going to unfold, but that's based on maybe some similarities to other films. Um, Robin Williams made one that sort of has a general premise, the, the same New England, uh, not Scotland, all boys school. I think it's called the uh, society dead poets. Oh, yeah, that's yeah, what it's like yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, which obviously has some similarities, but the differences are probably more striking, as you saw these movies unfold, um, which I think is great, because that way you get to see something similar, but you have another added part to it, many parts, actually, with the, the way the uh, drama unfolds with the main characters, very different uh, than with the other film, Robin Williams' characters. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good comparison, but yeah, the way that the uh, film was resolved is, is very different. <laughs> it's a credit to the director that uh, he took this film and, and had so many different layers of of drama going on within it. And, uh, just really well done. Also, I wanted to mention before I forget, the music by Rod McEwen and the song Gene was nominated for an Academy Award this year, the year it came out. But it lost to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids' Raindrops Keep Falling on My Head, which was, which is a classic from Burt Bacharach. <laughs> a classic. <laughs> well, and the, and the cinematography is great, too. And the acting is just incredible. Like, I, I uh, was blown away by Maggie Smith's performance and Pamela Franklin's performance. And I think it was, was the head, was it Jane Carr that played sort of the, the head of the school? Oh, no, it was, was uh, it? let me get that here, Celia Johnson, who's who's been a popular, she, she was very popular and a big fan, I'm a big fan of hers. Uh, we watched one of her movies where she had a brief encounter with Trevor Howard. Oh, right, right. Yeah, she was great in she, that movie. Uh, she was quite different than the uh, character Jean Brody. <laughs> yes. Well, well, they had some tense moments. Basically, yeah, the, the, the story revolves around Maggie Smith's character, Jean Brody, and a group of girls that are called the Brody Girls. And you, you get the idea at the beginning of the film that she's a really strong-willed teacher who has very strong ideas about what these girls should be learning about and how they should be learning and you know she she's kind of bucking up against the 
administration of the school embodied by Celia Johnson's character, Miss uh, McKay. Uh, and there's a scene at the beginning where uh, there's this poster that Miss McKay wants to have hung up in the in the room and Jean Brody hangs a painting over the top of it and kind of tells the girls petrification I do not intend to devote my prime to petrification prop up your books in case of intruders if there are intruders we are doing our history but we will not do our history can anyone tell me who is the greatest Italian painter Leonardo da Vinci Miss Brody that is incorrect Jenny the answer is Giotto he is my favorite Observe, little girl, Stanley Baldwin, who got in as Prime Minister and got out again ere long. Our headmistress, Miss Mackay, retains him on the walls because she believes in the slogan, safety first. But safety does not come first. Goodness, truth, and beauty come first. One's prime brings one's insight into these things. One's prime is the moment one is born for. You little girls must be on the alert to recognize your prime at whatever time it may occur and live it to the full. That there's more important things than, than, than that. She definitely yeah. uh, selected a group. Uh, when I, uh, Yeah, and she would, choose a, she would choose some girls out of her class to sort of make part of this Brody, the Brody girls, uh, I don't know what you would call them. It was sort of, they, she sort of like called them out as, as being yes. special, right? Like, I don't know what, what it was about them, but she would pick the ones that she felt that she could maybe have the most influence over. I think that's what was going on. She wanted to pick girls that she could mold the way she wanted to mold them. I was reading about what they would go and do together. And in the article that I read, they were referred to as the Brody set. Oh, and the what, Brody set, okay. They, like the click, it was a click of girls. They'd go to art museums, theater, have picnics on the school lawn. Several things that just further aggravated the rather austere headmistress, uh, Mrs. McKay. And constantly... Gene uh, Brody was pushing the boundaries of what she wanted to accomplish. I remember when we got finished watching it the first time I sent you this note and how so much of her character brought back so many memories in my life. Uh, you know, just the way she acted. And wow, it's a very powerful film. I was about 15 minutes into it, I realized this was not going to be Goodbye, Mr. Chips. And not in any way. This is a sign of a really good director to me and, and a writer that they can set up a certain expectation at the beginning and then completely turn that on its side, you know, halfway through the film, which is uh, definitely the case here. But we quickly find out uh, that, you know, things aren't all exactly as they're kind of being shown at the beginning because she's got some, some history with one of the other teachers, the art teacher, and he seems very intent on trying to get her to go out with him again and, and come over to his studio. And there's a scene where 
it, it's a little bit shocking because he pushes her into one of the like the staff room or, or like a, a, a classroom and is, is almost like trapping her in there. I hear I must congratulate you on the birth of another child. Yes, another daughter. Have you never heard of Mary Stopes, architect for constructive birth control and racial progress? Ah, yes, an estimable woman. But you see, my church enjoins me to go forth and be fruitful. I am aware of your unfortunate affiliation with the Church of Rome. I doubt, however, whether that body gives the same interpretation to go forth that you do. My church understands human imperfection and forgives it. Why can't you? I am not interested in human imperfection. I am interested in beauty, in art, in truth. In art and beauty, maybe. In truth, no. This is outrageous. The truth, Jean, is that you bounced into bed with an artist, but you were horrified when you woke up with a man. Release me instantly. I finished your portrait, Jean. Come back to the studio. Come, son. I can't. Why not? I have another engagement. Well, break it. I can't possibly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to Claremont. What for? Mr. Lowther has invited me to his estate at Cranford. Lowther? He has a small boat. I'm invited to go sailing. On Sunday. What do you want me to do? Ravish you on the floor for the edification of your girls? <laughs> well, and our, I think our first indication of that is when... Uh, Gene Brody is sort of pulled aside by Robert Stevens' character, Ted Lloyd. And he kind of manhandles her and shoves her into this classroom and is almost demanding that they go out again and have another date. And they apparently had uh, been kind of seeing each other. And he's another teacher in the school. He's the art teacher. And he's got a, a family with several kids. And has been cheating on his wife with with gene brody but i i I think it'd been a while since that had happened but he kind of like wanted to kind of start it up again in this new school year scene that you are talking about we 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 do tend to see less of those type of activities unless it's going to be like someone who's like a very very bad character uh, that's being you know seen that way whereas in this case we have an eccentric man in his own right and their relationship is complex, but I do think that the the author, of course, the story, um, and Neem, uh, who took this picture to, I think, amazing heights, I think he gives a lot of depth to their relationship in terms of his his actions, you know, as you were mentioning. That's not the only time that, as you know, that that man shows some rather deplorable actions in terms of his <laughs> way of acting, you know, not so much just his choice, but how he's doing it. And um, Jean Brody has something to, to, to think about that, and, uh, and she lets it known as the film unfolds in various ways. It could be shocking. <laughs> yes, his behavior was disgusting, and it, and it didn't get any better later in the film. Um, no, it really didn't. I just lost my place. Uh, that actor that played that part? Robert Stevens? He was very good in the role. It just was a very unsympathetic role or character. Uh, yeah, he was not likable at all. <laughs> and as it turns out, for me anyway, Jean Brody is not a likable person either because she's she's got an undue influence on on uh, the students 
and, and, and specifically the ones that she selects for her group. And some of the ideas she has are not only dangerous, but they lead to a death. Uh, it, it gets involved in the, the Spanish Civil War and support for which side and in that war. And she really goes on about that. Girls, I have called you together, my special girls, to tell you the truth about Mary MacGregor. Miss Mackay has told you the facts about Mary's death, how the train was bombed and machine-gunned as it crossed the frontier, but only I can tell you the truth. Mary MacGregor died a heroine. It was her intention to fight for Franco against the forces of darkness. So although she was killed before she herself could strike a blow, her intention was a noble and heroic one. Had she lived, Mary would have become a woman of great spirit and initiative. Hers would have been a dedicated life. You must all grow up to be dedicated women, as Mary MacGregor dedicated her youth to a cause, as I have dedicated myself to you. I looked up the definition of narcissist, and uh, in many ways she fits that. She's also very charming if she wants to be. Her character, I mean, the way that she's being shown, I mean, her relationship with girls, as she describes her girls, and that she wants to impress upon and be the main star of their life, but for, in her opinion, good reasons. I mean, she lives and dies by that. I think she, she really, I mean, she's someone who obviously, arguably, pros and cons about how she's looking at the world, but her devotion, her desire to create this, this uh, person and to be followed and guidance for all important areas is very much there. I think she puts her heart and soul, and I, I wonder, Bob, what do you think? Do you think that that part of her character is something that was loved back in 69 and then for the years that the film has been seen? Do you feel like that might be part of the uh, what, what makes this film grand? Well, I think it's that, but I think it's also a, a lot more complex in terms of her personality and all in terms of what and how she views her role how she views the rules that govern people, but she works with her own uh, set of rules. Um, it, it's a, it's, there's so many layers of complexity in her character, it's really difficult to put it into uh, a simple word. I think there's part of her that's uh, narcissistic. I think there's a part of her that uh, sort of sees the life and the, and the world from her own eyes. Um, I, I didn't see that when I first saw the film. I see it more and more every time I watch it. And I remember after Matt and I viewed it and talked about it, I sent him a note about some of the things that she was doing that I just know more about now that I'm at the age that I'm at in terms of how people deal with other people. Uh, she's definitely uh, a very seriously complex issue, a person. And I've known a couple of people in my own life like that, as Matt knows, and uh, it, it brings out a whole other dimension of her style and personality. It's a tough movie for me to watch because of her character. The conflict of watching her unfold is, is really big. She's 
one of the most impressive characters on the film that I've ever seen, the characterization. She's such a strong-willed character um, with, with, like you said, the many sides to her that she would see as, as all pro. Others, as we see in the film, don't see it that way. Yeah. But I, I almost, I mean, in terms of her ups and her downs, in regards to her downs of the film, when things are not perfect for her, I think the audience feels very saddened by it, even though many of those audience members might be on par with why uh, she had to go through those problems, her, her downs, so to speak. And I find that conflict amazing. I've seen the movie, I'm, I'm not exaggerating about this, I've probably seen this film. I started at the age of 10 or 12 and 50 years old now. I've, I've probably seen it in its full. 50 times at least, seen this film a lot. And you would think after watching it a lot, it would become less uh, uh, amount of uh, force to what you're seeing. It's the opposite, it actually grows. I've actually been seen more of the force of what that film is showing, uh, how well it's put together on top of um, each person in it. They're all intriguing on every level. The girls, Anne Way, who's Miss Gaunt, the woman who does not speak, incidentally, uh, Neem, Ronald Neem actually made that up in his mind that she was not going to speak. It took me a few days to process this movie because as soon as I watched it the first time, I, I FaceTimed Bob and I said, what the heck? You know, like, what did I just watch? <laughs> I was so, like, shocked by what, what happened. And, and it took me a few days to kind of get over the fact that, you know, it, I have to separate my own personal feelings about, like, her character from how well toge put together the movie is. And just how well acted it is and well directed and and the cinematography is excellent and it's just a very well crafted film but i had such a visceral reaction to her character and it, it it's a slow kind of build with her because at the beginning I, i'm i'm really liking her and i think well she's she's a she's really cares about her students she really wants to teach them about the world she wants them to be independent thinkers but then it, it sort of progresses to the point where it's not just that, but she wants to control them and she wants to have control over their lives. And she even puts one of them in danger in order to kind of like further her own, you know, needs and, and, and her own life. And uh, so by the end of it, I'm just like, I don't even know what to think about this person. I, a broken person in a way, she's got a lot of inner conflict and trauma. And at the same time, she was an incredibly strong person who really like stood up for what she believed in. And so I'm, I'm a bit conflicted, really. Yeah, because she's also going after um, another one of the teachers played by Gordon Jackson. And, and his character's name is Gordon Lothar and has been taking the these Brody, the, the Brody set out to his. It almost looks like a, a, a little castle on this lake. It's like a, it's a it's a very large house, let's say, on this lake. And it's spending uh, the weekends out the, there. The outskirts of Edinburgh, right? Yeah, that yeah. And she's having an affair with him, but she tries to conceal it from the girls. And he wants to get married, but Brody wants nothing to do with that because she still has feelings for the uh, the art teacher. It's it's really a convoluted uh, uh, kind of a mess of a relationship. I, I sort of pulled back a little bit from what I'd said earlier, and I, I want to talk about Maggie Smith as an, as an actor. And it's clear to me that she's, 
she's head and shoulders better than anyone else that was nominated that year for an Academy Award because she pulls this off. If we had 100 people on this call today and they'd all seen the film, they would have 100 different interpretations of how she does. She is that good in that role. I don't know this to be a fact, but it's probably the role of a lifetime for her. Because I don't know her, but I mean, she's just marvelous in this film. Then I take it to a personal level, and the movie is very painful for me to watch because of some past life experiences. And I wrote to Matt the day after we talked, and I was so glad, Arthur, that you recommended this film because it brings a lot of stuff back to the to me in terms of my own life <laughs> for a film to do that is 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 rare at at best there's maybe a half a dozen that i've seen that are like that in my whole lifetime she's just unbelievably remarkable in that role she really is see that movie when it had come here i know it was released in the uk i forgot when it came to the united states do you remember seeing it when it had come uh, uh, it, came out, it came out in March of 1969. I probably saw it the summer of 1969. I can't remember. I was living in Denver at the time. Uh, so I saw it when it first came out. And it didn't register with me like it does today. But then, you know, that's 50 years of experience that, that brings it back in the way that I see it now. It's a, it's a marvelous. It's a She's brilliant in that role. It, it does seem to be the kind of film that students and to teachers alike would want to have a sense of. It's, it's, I think it's that type of film where the experience of being in school, um, Scotland, it's supposed to be, what, 32, 1932. Um, I've been there before, and it's, it's really quite something, as we saw many shots. But it doesn't have to be there in, in 32. This can be related to, I'm sure, many people's lives. Oh, it could be today. In the school setting, even today. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing piece. Pamela Franklin, you mentioned Maggie Smith. Pamela Franklin, the scenes between her and Maggie Smith, in my opinion, are some of the best dialogue exchange scenes in all of the film that I've ever seen. I said to Miss Mackay, I have the loyalty of my girls, and she said, do you? I'm not believe it, I'll not believe it was one of my girls. Perhaps it's true. I thought possibly Monica, there's very little soul Monica behind her. Monica is a loyal girl. I know. You all are Monica and Jenny, oh, not Jenny. She's like a part of myself. You, Sandy, as you see, you are exempt from all suspicion. You have had more of my confidence than anyone. You know more than anyone what I have sacrificed for my girls. Teddy Lloyd was greatly in love with me, Sandy, as I think you have always known. And I gave him up to consecrate my life to the young girls in my care. You and Monica and Jenny. Jenny. She and Mr. Lloyd will soon be lovers. I have that. Do you think that you are providence? That you can ordain love? What? You haven't pulled it off. Jenny will not be Teddy Lloyd's lover. 
What are you saying, Sandy? Jenny will not be Teddy Lloyd's lover and I'll not be your spy. Your secret service. My spy, what on earth are you talking about? Do you understand at all what has happened to me? I have been dismissed from Marcia Blaine. Why are you standing there talking about Providence and the Secret Service? What is the matter with you? Miss Brodie, I am Teddy's lover. What? I am Teddy's lover. Teddy's lover? You! Is that so difficult to believe? What does it matter to you? Which one of us it is? It doesn't matter to Teddy. Whatever possessed you, you know his religion. How could a girl with a mind of her own have to do with a man who can't think for himself? That doesn't seem to have bothered either of us, does it? We were neither of us very interested in his mind. How dare you speak to me in this manner? I suppose I've always known that one day you were going to ask, how dare I? Why, I don't understand. I don't seem to understand what has happened to everyone. Where has everyone gone? Only Mary is gone. Mary? What has Mary to do with it? Miss Brodie, Mary McGregor is dead. Are you aware of the order of importance in which you place your anxieties? One, you have been betrayed. Two, who is or is not to be your proxy in Teddy Lloyd's bed. And three, Mary's death. Miss Brodie, aren't you concerned at all with Mary's death? I grieve for Mary. It was because of you she went. Because of me, it was her brother. The poor unfortunate girl hadn't anyone else in the world. She had you. That was her misfortune. To please you, that silly, stupid girl ran off and got herself killed. Don't you feel responsible for that? No. We have so much that you see as it goes that we want to admire. And then so much that we want to hold back on. And this, I think, this transcends anybody from any place at any time. Doesn't matter what their worldview is. I think we're going to, this conflict will come upon most people watching this film. I, I really think that. I don't think it, it's independent of it because the, the, she has this complexity. Um, she could be anywhere, anytime, any person. Uh, with what she's showing us as a character trace that we see. Oh, yeah. uh, when we watched the uh, movie and I talked to my wife about the film, we have known at least one or two people like, uh, like Jean Brody in our own lives. I think anybody that spends any time thinking about this movie or watching it is going to realize that they've had that kind of an experience before. You mentioned something earlier about this is the kind of film that should be shown in a, in a class on, on filmmaking and all. And I, we've done 161 podcasts, but there are just a few films that we've, that we've seen that are this impactful. It was a really interesting movie to, to, to reflect on. I, I would have to say that it was really difficult to watch it as it was unfolding. And I was kind of angry at the end of it. And I oh, remember yeah. texting you and I think I sent a WTF <laughs> that I just yes. watch. And I think it, it sets you up for that journey at the beginning, the way that it's just, it's presented. If you, and, and again, I, I, I went into this knowing nothing about it. I, I knew zero about this movie, which is probably a great way to go into it, honestly. 
and it sets you up for it's going to be like this kind of warm-hearted kind of coming of age film with these girls and maybe we're going to follow them through their school years and and these teachers are going to be a part of their life to uh like a portrait of somebody who has some real serious personality and 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 maybe mental illnesses there's so many examples of that Uh, i'm thinking just off the top of my head that brody tries to get Jenny to have an affair with Mr. Lloyd and then San- and then she tries to get she tries to convince Sandy that she should spy on them. I mean, what's with that? And yeah. then Sandy is so upset by that she has an affair with Mr. Lloyd and uh, finally has had enough of that because Lloyd is constantly thinking about Jean Brody. I mean, it's like so convoluted, so unhealthy. Well, and then it all comes to a head near the end when uh, uh, Gene Brody's talking about this uh, the civil war that's going on in Spain. Yes, she thinks, uh, doesn't she think yeah. her brother is fighting for the side that's headed by uh, Franco? Yeah, and, and well, it's one of the, it's one of the girls, yeah, right? Mary. It's one of the girls that decides, which one? I, th- I think Mary, Mary McGregor, yeah. that's right. That's the other, that's the other girl. Um, and she, she basically convinces Mary to, to go down and fight in this, in this war. And I, she doesn't specifically say the words like, Mary, you should go on, get on a train and go down to Spain. But she, she does everything short of that to, to kind of convince the girls. And and in particular, I think Mary is the one who falls for it the hardest that, that this is a good thing and that they need to go down there and, and help them out. And Well, and also uh, Brody had her believing that she was going to go be with her brother, be with Brody's brother on the Franco side. It was actually, her brother was on the other side. It was so mixed, mixed up. And her level of manipulation and control is just amazing over these girls. I, it, in a way, frightening as we watched it, because I know when we got done, we could hardly wait to talk about how unsettling it was. And then I had to realize, you know, it's really only a movie. <laughs> come come back from wherever you took your head. But, you know, we, um, yeah. we haven't even seen the best yet, I think. I think that final several minutes between Brody and Sandy are just unbelievably well done. Well, there's two, there's two in particular that, and it's been a few weeks, it's been, I, I don't know, even almost like two months since I watched this movie, but there's two scenes that really stand out for me. Uh, the, the confrontation between Gene Brody and yes. Miss McKay, when, when Miss McKay tries to fire her and Gene Brody is like, I'm not going to back down and you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be able to bully me. Twelve-year-old girls are not infants, Miss Mackay. How do you know they're twelve years old? From the handwriting, the vocabulary, the rudimentary knowledge of the facts of life. Surely you cannot believe that that is the work of nine-year-olds. I could believe it was the work of your nine-year-olds, Miss Brody. Well, there's very little for me to say, Miss Mackay, in the face of your extraordinary prejudice and hostility. Miss Brody, I am not asking you to say anything. I am asking, demanding that you put your signature, your own signature, on a letter of resignation which I have prepared for you. 
I will not resign. You will not resign? You will force me to dismiss you? I will not resign, and you will not dismiss me, Miss Mackay. You will not use the excuse of that pathetic, that humorous document to blackmail me. Mr. Lowther, you are a witness to this. Miss Mackay has made totally unsupported accusations against my name and yours. If she has one authentic shred of evidence, just one, let her bring it forth. Otherwise, if one more word of this outrageous calumny reaches my ears, I shall sue. I shall take Miss Mackay to the public courts and I shall sue the trustees of Marcia Blaine if they support her. I will not stand quietly by and allow myself to be crucified by a woman whose fetid frustration has overcome her judgment. If scandal is to your taste, Miss Mackay, I shall give you a feast. Miss Rhodey, I am a teacher. I am a teacher first, last, always. Do you imagine that for one instant I will let that be taken from me without a fight? I have dedicated, sacrificed my life to this profession. And I will not stand by like an inky little slacker and watch you rob me of it. And for what? For what reason? For jealousy. Because I have the gift of claiming girls for my own. It is true, I am a strong influence on my girls. I am proud of it. I influence them to be aware of all the possibilities of life, of beauty, honor, courage. I do not, Miss Mackay, influence them to look for slime where it does not exist. I am going. When my class convenes, my pupils will find me composed and prepared to reveal to them the succession of the Stuarts. And on Sunday, I will go to Cremont to visit Mr. Lowther. We are accustomed, bachelor and spinster, to spend our Sundays together in sailing and walking the beaches and in the pursuit of music. Mr. Lowther is teaching me to play the mandolin. Good day, Miss Mackay. And I have to say, I really admire Jean Brody's character in that scene because I appreciated the fact that she was standing up for herself and she was so committed to her beliefs. Like, I, I really was moved by that scene. And then the the one that you're talking about was probably one of the best scenes of two people talking and, and having a confrontation in film that Me I have too. ever seen. It was just incredible. That was... Uh riveting to say the least it was you who betrayed me i didn't betray you i simply put a stop to you oh i see no you don't see you don't see that you're not good for people in what way in what way sandy was i not good for you you are dangerous and unwholesome, and children should not be exposed to you. How can you think it? How can you think that I would harm you? But you have! You have harmed me! How? You have murdered Mary! You have assassinated me! Oh, why must you always strike attitudes? You really are a ridiculous woman. What will you do? No. Do? I don't know. 
But I am a descendant. Do not forget of Willie Brodie. He was a man of substance, a cabinet maker and a designer of gibbets, a member of the town council of Edinburgh, the keeper of two mistresses who brought him five children between them. Blood tells. He played much dice and fighting cocks. Eventually, he was a wanted man for having robbed the excise office. Not that he needed the money. He was a burglar for the sake of the danger. He died cheerfully on a gibbet of his own devising in 1788. That is the stuff I am made of. I knew you would rise like a phoenix. I'm glad I shall not have to worry about you. No, I expect that is to be your gift, Sandy, to kill without concern. It is you who are dangerous. You see yourself as a conqueror, don't you, Sandy? Kaiserian in all his beauty rare. But you profess to be a great admirer of conquerors. Goodbye, Miss Brodie. You mentioned, Matt, you saw this for the first time without, you know, seeing anything about it. That is the best experience for so many great films. I'm so glad it happened for you. And a friend of mine loves this film uh, as much as I do, although he didn't know about it until I told him about it about five years ago. He had no idea about this film. And, but for me, I know it so well. So this massive event that we see at the end of the movie, Pamela Franklin absolutely is brilliant in that scene. And she even was aware of how hard it would be to act with her because she admired Maggie Smith. So something happens very special. The final scene that we have unfolding, the way it's done, the way that it's done, Maggie Smith had another idea about it. She wanted something different. And Ronald Neen actually, along with one of the persons, said, I don't think you're quite right. And they ended up doing it the way that we see it. Maggie Smith did not want to do it exactly as we see it. Ronald Neen actually said, looking back, as a commentary uh, made maybe 10 years ago, he said, I think that Maggie was right, but I don't agree with him. I think Maggie was wrong about it, and I think Neen was correct to do what he did. And they didn't actually do it the different way. She, he displays what she wanted. He explains what she wanted, but there is no actual visual of the scene. He just explains it. I'm not on the commentary. It's very clear when he explains it what what he was going to be seeing if, if she did it. And then the reason why I thought it was interesting personally is because when he says that he rethinks it himself and thinks that Maggie was right about what was supposed to happen, I don't agree. She's all upset. And assassin, she screams in the movie. Assassin. Right? And then the only zoom, the only zoom is at the very end to accentuate that moment. Maggie Smith wanted to say assassin very lightly, very lightly in sort of a quiet moment as that whole scene unfolds and Sandy leaves. She wanted to do it quietly. Now, the reason why I agree with Neem not to have it quietly is because I don't think Matt, that character that we see, Jean Brody, this, she's not gonna go out quiet after being totally 
uh, let down, to say the very least, by Sandy, someone that she thought was, you know, someone who's going to be watching her back <laughs> in a dependable way. So in my opinion, based on what I see, I understand that people will have different thoughts of this. But for me, I definitely see her as having a big emotional moment, probably even bigger than what we saw. But I think what they did was perfect. And the zoom to accentuate her, her focus on she never thought that she would get undone by one of her ghettos, as she says. And um, I agree with you, Arthur. I think the ending that was used is much more appropriate because people like her character, Jean Brody, would not mm -hmm. go silently into the night, ever. They just are not that right. way. That's not how they're wired. You mentioned another film that has that same impact and, and, and no way out mm -hmm. from, from mm -hmm. the late 40s, early 50s. That's one. Oh, that another one that I find, when I watched uh, a film from the late 40s called 12 O'Clock High with Gregory Peck, yes, I, could, I probably watched that film 25 times. It has the same impact on me because of, of different family members and, and the way they portray uh, the whole uh, area of, of war and all. So there's, there's a handful of these films that we've done that just, just blow me away. And this is one of the, her, I can't, I can't say it strongly enough. Her acting in that film is so excellent. It's, it's hard to put into words. I'm talking about I'm talking about Maggie Smith. I think it's one of those performances that need it's it's a performance that needs to be seen at once. Uh, a film that should be somewhere on a list of films to be seen, not just on her performance. Don't you just feel like the whole game is just lifted every time I see the movie? I'm seeing more and more from the girls, uh, uh, Jane Carr, uh, Mary, yeah. who goes on. Yeah. I just feel like the entire level of that film elevates itself as a rewatch process. Every character is just perfect. And uh, you know, I hadn't seen it ex except one time before watching it with you. And I was so glad that Arthur uh, selected this because at f the first blush of it, I thought, well, this would be kind of a nice, sweet movie about Gene Brody, and it turned out to be a whole lot more than I ever expected. And I didn't remember much about that when I saw it back in the early 70s. Wow. Just amazing. I, I uh, yeah, I really appreciated Arthur's selection on this one. And we had a really fun conversation with him about it. The original plan was to just have our conversation be the episode and, and not have us kind of... Uh, edit in parts of that conversation but we've got to figure out our technical uh setup for doing those kinds of interviews because um you and i didn't sound we sounded like we were at That's the end of weird. a tunnel <laughs> arthur have you tell us a little bit about how you would rate the movie uh, i think i know but I, I think it would be helpful to to get a rating from you uh from one to ten with ten being you know the, the top of the top of the uh, line where would you place this movie in your whole experience with film? 15 out of 10, as I would give this. I'm going to give a reason why. It, <laughs> takes, it takes itself five points above the level of the regular perfect. And the, I'm going to explain why. Rewatchability. And I am not exaggerating. In my lifetime, I probably had a chance to see this film probably about 50 full times. 
I'm able to find an impact there every time I'm seeing it. And that's strange to me. Like it's even making me feel like how did this happen? And and I would say probably because life experiences, if you pay attention, this movie is the kind of film that would help you illuminate many experiences if you're able to pay attention. The kind of charm and the wit and the style of Maggie Smith and a few other characters that we see, it's it's something to take note of. And I think this film represents that in, in the best way. So I give it five points above the standard. And I that is definitely how I feel. I realize I might be alone, no problem. That's, that's, that's how it's be. Well, you know, it, it's interesting, Arthur, because there have been about a half a dozen films that, I, that we've done as a podcast. And I always feel locked in and confined by the 10 because there are some films that are just better than that. And this is one of them. I agree. What, what, what would you give it, Dad? Well, I, I, would, I, would, I would top it out at 10. But, it, but, but I give it that because of the quality of the direction, the writing, and uh, the, the work of all the people in it, particularly Maggie Smith. Yeah, I would give it a 10 as well for the same reasons. In terms of like crafting a film, I think it's at the top of the bunch. It's probably in the top five or six movies that, that we've reviewed for sure. Um, Arthur, thank you so much. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks so much, Bye, Bob. Arthur. And, uh, Have a great weekend. Right. Take care. Have yeah, a good weekend. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Um, thank you, Arthur, for the great selection of uh, this movie. And then we've got three more that we're going to be reviewing and, and and Arthur has provided some comments on those as well. I should, I should give the names of those and uh, because I've had some time I've watched all three of them just in the last two weeks. They're excellent. The 49th Parallel from 1941 A Matter of Life and Death or Stairway to Heaven from 1946 with David Niven and then The Green Man which is really not a man at all, but a hotel. And that's from 1956 with my one of my favorite actors, Alastair Sim, as a bumbling assassin. <laughs> and, and that film <laughs> is very difficult to get a hold of. Very difficult. It, it is. I had, to, I had to get a copy through eBay. Um, and yeah, there's no, there's no online streaming. You can't get it through Netflix DVD. I, I was surprised the only way I could find to get it, I didn't do this, I was able to do what you did, but uh, to buy a DVD. That's the only available... Yeah. Well, that's what I did through eBay. That's the only way to get it. Yeah, I, I, and I, I couldn't even get it through... Um, well, I think there was an option to buy it through Amazon, but it was like $80 or something. Those are all three excellent films uh, that I think uh, we'll enjoy reviewing. And yeah, absolutely. And and those are going to be coming out over the next few weeks and kind of interspersed with those, we're going to be releasing some other uh, reviews on our Patreon, uh, which the first one is going to be uh, Jaws, which we've recorded. And then the next one is going to be uh, Duel. So we've got a couple from Steven Spielberg that we're going to review. And then do you have, did we talk about what we were going to do after yeah, that? I have a I have the, I thank you for asking. I have the, I have the list. <laughs> Birds, uh, Jaws, Duel, and then we uh, want to do Close Encounters of the Third Kind from 1977. That's right. 
and uh, on the waterfront from 1954. So we're set. Right. So we've got three three movies by Steven Spielberg, and then on the waterfront. And so those will be coming out on our Patreon and uh, on our public feed. We'll be doing the UK Film Festival with, uh, with Arthur. And if you would like to join us on a show or uh, several shows, sign up on Patreon at Tier 4. And uh, every, every four months, uh, you can join us uh, on, on that show. And that, that's limited to three patrons. So uh, you'd be part of an exclusive club. <laughs> That was our review of The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. Thank you again to Arthur for joining us and coming to you from North Bend. This is Matt Johnson. And from Los Angeles, Bob Johnson, wishing you all happy movie watching. Little girls, I am in the business of putting old heads on young shoulders. And all my pupils are the creme de la creme. Give me a girl at an impressionable age, and she is mine for life. Jean, Jean, roses are red. All the leaves have gone green And the clouds are so low You can touch them and so Come out to the meadow, Jean Jean, Jean, you're young and alive Come out of your half-dream dream And run if you will To the top of the hill Open your arms on each end